Hey, think you know which way it's going to go? Make your bet at Sports Interaction, whatever your sport. Sports Interaction has you covered pregame. Live betting on all major sports and, of course, prop bets. Who doesn't love those? Want to bet? Head to sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN. 19 plus. Please play responsibly. Welcome to Nailing the Apex. I'm Tim Haraney. Head on over to Spotify. Give us a five-star rating. Uh, same goes with Apple Podcasts as well. Write a review. Give us a five-star rating over there. Helps us grow the podcast, and we'd really appreciate it. I'm on social media at Tim Haraney. Joining me today is Dutch motorsports reporter Jeroen Demendal. Jeroen has uh, recently published a book called Formula Hopeless about backmarkers and F1 teams. F1 team backmarkers, actually, in the 80s and the 90s. Um, he's been following motorsports for over 30 years regularly see him on our uh, indycar press conference calls with the drivers and when he's uh, not reporting on that you can also find his work uh, covering the junior categories as well on uh, feeder series and feeder series america both are on twitter Jeroen, thanks very much for taking the time to do this man how are you yeah i'm good man i'm good man thanks for having me well, this is good haven't seen you in a while last time i saw you was on the uh IndyCar uh, preseason, yeah, media availability, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, we've all been uh, working hard, of course, uh, since then, just getting <laughs> prepared for this season, uh, getting prepared for that first race in uh, St. Petersburg. And my goodness, did we yeah. get a race? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, so let's talk about that for a little bit because, um, yeah, you've been following IndyCar for a really long time and you're covering it as well. Um, I mean, it's pretty wild to see Marcus Erickson come away with that victory. I mean, obviously... He qualified he qualified reasonably well but I mean the amount of chaos at this opening race I mean usually we see a little bit of it because you know drivers have a lot of pent up you know anger mm. and stuff because they haven't been in a race car and racing each other for a few months and you know we got off to a uh, pretty crazy start you're in <laughs> Yeah, well, I think part of it is, you know, you got 27 cars, right? Which is the biggest field since, what was it, 2009? So, oh, yeah. I mean, or maybe even longer than that. Yeah. Um, so, it's, 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 it was a very full field. Um, and then, of course, when you have this opening crash, sort of, which really sort of, you know, sets maybe a few nerves uh, wrinkling. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, um, it was an unusually chaotic St. Petersburg Grand Prix. Um, I think part of it also had to do with that, you know, part of the track had this repave, uh, which meant that the nature of the track had changed a little bit. Uh, there were a lot of drivers complaining about their brakes, about their uh, getting the grip from the tires. Um, so just by and large, there were a lot of different factors that really worked together um, yeah, to create a little bit of chaos. It was interesting because, you know, listening to... Uh, quite a few of the drivers, you know, some of them felt that they didn't get enough time uh, in preseason testing at thermal and to get a better understanding of like this. They were talking a lot about the new brake pads that they were having to run this season. And um, I, I don't know. I, f I, I think they, they did get quite a bit of time in my opinion for preseason testing for IndyCar, given the fact Jeroen, I mean that this chassis, the car itself is it's pretty old. It's been around for a while. Now you do wonder, at, after a while, how much is there still to discover from yeah. uh, from the Delara, right? Yeah. yeah. At the same time, I mean, I can also understand because of the long off season that the IndyCar has, um, you know, you might feel a little bit rusty. Um, and then, of course, Thermal Club was a new track for most drivers, uh, for actually all drivers. I think there were a handful handful of them who had been driven, driving around some GT cars there back in the back in the day. Um, but it was a new track for them. And then they went to Sebring. 
And then directly after that, it's St. Pete, and you have to perform to uh, the best of your abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think especially for some of the rookies, maybe, you know, that was a little bit uh, trickier than, the, than, they would have, uh, than they would have wanted. Speaking of the rookies, I mean, Marcus Armstrong, man, <laughs> he looked pr- pretty good. I mean, his first IndyCar race coming home 11th. And then yeah, also, absolutely. same with um, Augustine Canapino. That guy, he he's been pretty impressive. Let's start with uh, let's start with Marcus because you've you've covered him in in junior formulas as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, now I covered him quite quite a while uh, in in F three and F two. You know, saw him climbing the ladder in Europe, uh, and then of course after three years in F two, uh, he he then made the jump to IndyCar. Um, I think. I mean that. That 11th place came including a, a flat tire. I mean, he, he did have to make an extra stop in order to fix that flat tire. So, I mean, it could even have been better. could probably have been a top 10 finish. Um, yes, he's in the Ganassi car. Yes, you know, he has the European, uh, the F2 pedigree. But still, um, for uh, a kid who's never been driving on St. Pete, I think he re- did a really good job. Uh, as for Canapino, I mean, really, I mean, he is my, and I think most people's, absolute surprise of the whole weekend. Um mm-hmm. I think a lot of us might have expected him to basically be pushing up the rest of the field ahead of him, uh, being at the bottom of the timesheet, but he never was. Um, and he, uh, he he was really, really strong, actually drove ahead of Callum Eilers for a while also mm-hmm. in, the, in, the, in the early phases of the uh, stages of the race, um, and then came home uh, basically without any issues. Um, I mean, didn't, didn't uh, drive any damage. We saw a lot of drivers hit the wall through, throughout the weekend. He never uh, caught any damage. Um, and I think, yeah, I think he's, I think he's been doing uh, a, a great job. Uh, and on top of that, I mean, he, as as you, uh, you and I have seen him on the media days. I mean, he is a very entertaining uh, and a friendly guy. Um, I mean, th- this whole story where he's telling that sort of like you know two three months ago he didn't speak a word of English yet, uh, and then he decided, oh, I go to America, so I need to get myself a language coach. Um, and then he was sitting there in our press conference and we were listening to him and we were like, this guy has spoken English for three months, really? Um, because he, it was it was, it was, was near flawless. It was really, really good. So yeah, I'm, I think it's great. It's great to see him do so well. Um, and I can't wait to see um, you know how he's going to do on the big oval uh, in Texas. Stingray Rob uh, finishing 16th. He qualified 23rd. I mean, again, uh, with, I mean, so new, right? I mean, like, I don't know how much time he's actually had in the car compared to i mean maybe marcus and augustine but like i mean he's been in the junior category for for quite a while and again you're another driver that you've you've Uh, covered that is it right i mean i think in terms of just testing time he's had the same the the same thing uh, the same amount of time as uh, as canapino and uh, and armstrong uh there Mm -hmm. was a preseason rookie test where he where all three of them were there um and if he then and if he then see like you say he comes he's come up through the uh, uh, the road to the, what what was formerly known as the road to Indy so he's been driving in Indy next driving in USF Pro so he knows Saint Petersburg very well he knows the tracks well um, and then you can see I mean he was the one who on Friday or actually on Saturday in practice actually uh, hit the wall and then mm-hmm. sort of you know gave his. Uh, um, uh, gave his his uh, mechanic some overtime uh, to fix up his car for qualifying, um, and then of course on Sunday I think he was unlucky to be caught up in that start crash. Yeah. Um, and then of course you know they they couldn't start working on the car until the the red flag was um, was lifted. So in the end, I mean he was running around basically uh, on what is it two or three laps down I think. Yeah. But then finished the race without any problems. Uh, wasn't in anyone's way. I think he finished 16th in the end. 
I mean, that's fine. I mean, that's all you could have uh, expected of him sort of after. Like I said, well, it was a, a bit of a rocky start to the to the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, Callum Eilat, now wow. fifth in the driver's standings. Uh, or actually, wow. yeah, on the uh, press conference with, with him on, uh, what was it? I think it was Friday after practice. Friday, yeah. <laughs> like He was asking everybody, like, he's like, why am I here? He's like, yeah. I was... <laughs> wealth fastest why am i sitting in this newsroom with all of you you should be interviewing like the top five or whatever and everyone's like no because we requested you to come in and he had nothing to say because he was he felt he did so bad in practice and again you know didn't it was a shaky start for for whom goes i mean qualifying 22nd for callum i mean he's I mean, Callum's mm. a really great driver, very competitive, obviously. And last season, only running uh, one car. I mean, this—I think this has to be one of his worst qualifying performances so far in IndyCar. Yeah, probably. Um, I don't know if he was sort of you know hindered by anyone during Q1, but um, definitely. Um, and like you say, I mean, on this Friday he was brought into this press conference, but that sort of it, it signifies his humility, right? He was yeah. like, "I'm 12th. Why am I here? I didn't do anything special." Um, and and he really feels like that, but that is sort of because you know he is a product of the uh, the Ferrari Driver Academy of the FDA. I mean, he let's face it, if his last name was Schumacher, he would have been in Formula One by now. Um, but he wasn't. Instead, Mick Schumacher went to F1, and he didn't. Um, but I mean, this guy really has a lot of talent. Um, made the jump to Junkos last year, I think at times really showed flashes of brilliance. Mm-hmm. And what he did on Sunday, I mean. Really, really, really strong uh, to take a Junkos car, take it into the top five. I mean, it's uh, it's 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 amazing. Uh, Will Power, the uh, highest finishing uh, Penske driver, I believe, if I remember correctly, he was seventh. I think he qualified tenth. Um, had a had a really rocky week just coming into the race. I mean, Nathan Brown wrote a pretty good article about all of it over on the Indy Star. Um, and like his, for those who don't know, like Will's wife has been ill for the past few months. So in and out of the hospital and it sounded like she had called 911, like a couple times during the week in in lead into, um, St. Pete. I mean, for Will to, uh, come into St. Pete, mental toughness for a lot of these drivers is a huge factor. And, and for, for willpower, I mean, I mean, it's that that's got to be tough to deal with, and for him to, you know, have a pretty decent weekend, all things considered. I mean, yeah, pretty impressive. I mean, I'm amazed that yeah. he can still perform at the level that he can. Uh, frankly, um, you know, uh, when you have indeed sort of uh, um, your your life partner sort of mm-hmm. you know in, that, in such a medical situation, um, I, I would I would want to I would be focusing only on that. Um, and 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 the fact that he can still go out there do his job and indeed sort of perform pretty well because let's face it I think Penske at a whole um, didn't necessarily have a, a great weekend. Uh, New Garden was struggling. Um, I think of course McLaughlin was 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 up there sort of, but also um, in the end sort of didn't get the result. No, I'm I was I'm very impressed by that given uh, the context sort of in which Will Power operated. Um, and of course, I mean, you know, I just hope that um, that Liz is uh, will, will be fully recovered uh, mm-hmm. sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, Will had mentioned on our uh, on our media call with him 
on the, I think it was either the, the Wednesday or the Thursday. I can't really remember. The Wednesday or the Thursday. It was a Wednesday. That's it. Wednesday leading into race week, uh, weekend at, at St. Pete's. Um, he had mentioned some of the drivers that he uh, was watching out for the most and who he thought uh, the drivers were going to be that were challenging for a championship. And first driver he mentioned right away was uh, Alex Pillow. Alex qualified seventh. Uh, I believe he finished eighth. Uh, I mean, when Will Power is telling you that, you know, Alex Pillow is going to be the driver that's that's most likely going to be battling for this championship win, I was actually a little surprised to see how far down Alex was um, in the finishing order. But I think it just goes to show you how competitive IndyCar is. I mean, I think like the top 10 was only separated by, what was it, like maybe a tenth and a half in qualifying or something like that at the end? It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, this is IndyCar, right? I mean, this yeah. is why we love it, um, the, the competitiveness. I mean, yes, we've had a race now, but I still don't know who's going to win this championship. I really haven't got a clue. I mean, there's at least a dozen guys out there who sort of uh, stand a good chance uh, or at least an outside chance. Uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, Pelot sort of, um, you know, he's he's over the last few years sort of become a little bit like this silent assassin. You don't really see him all race, but then all of a sudden, oh, there he is again, finishing mm-hmm. second or just winning the race. Um, in the end, it was Ericsson who sort of popped up and actually, you know, when uh, some other competitor sort of fell by the wayside, he was the one who pounced and... and um, and benefited from that. Um, whereas, you know, maybe you, some of us would have expected Pelot to be the guy to do that, or Dixon. Um, but I think that also underlines sort of how strong Marcus Ericsson is. And I think sort of um, with Marcus Ericsson, um, I think he, he he pointed that that a little bit also in his uh, post-race interview, right? I mean, there are still people who underestimate him a little bit, who still sort of have uh, this guy who sort of drove at the back of an F1 field in a catering and think like, yeah, but, you know, is he mm-hmm. really all that? Well, I mean, you know, he's um, he's on top of the championship right now. I mean, last year he was in the championship hunt for a long time, mm-hmm. uh, apart from that little fade sort of towards the end in the last few races. But I think Ericsson sort of over the winter, he seems to have grown even further, as he has done every year since he came to IndyCar. Yeah, one of the things he had mentioned he worked on quite a bit with um, his crew uh, engineers was um, qualifying in particular and trying to just qualify better because like you and I have seen with with IndyCar over uh, over the last few years in particular, since the talent level has just risen so much, qualifying has become uh, just so important and even just trying to get into the top 10 is extremely crucial for if you want to have a chance at um, podium or win in IndyCar it's like you you really have to get into the into the into the fast 12 or even fast six in, in, in quality mm-hmm. or else it's just just forget about it like that's the that's the level of talent I mean you and I have witnessed for I I would say the last five years Arun, how much it's really just grown and then over the last what maybe two three years it's just been even more so yeah i would definitely think so um i think part of it is that we've had a really strong generation come up from the road to indy um you know the patos the uh, um, colton hurtas the renas vks um i mean we've just had a lot of strong drivers coming up david malukas of course in recent years um and um kyle kirkwood um 
on top of that, you have uh, you know quite a few Formula Two drivers who have d- discovered like okay, maybe F1 isn't doable, but I can sort of have a look at uh, at IndyCar. Um, so we have quite a few, quite a big F2 contingent now. Uh, we mentioned mm-hmm. Pilot, but we also have Lundgaard. We also mm-hmm. have uh, well, you know, there's a few other ones uh, that have that have made the jump in recent years. Um, and yeah, and at the same time, I mean, um, the people, the, the veterans who are really have that staying power, you know, the Dixons uh, and the Paginos and the uh, the Powers, they just stick around and they still can uh, perform. Um, and they, I think in a way they must also develop almost sort of to, uh, you know, keep that performance level up in order to still be able to compete for wins. Whereas I think some other drivers maybe um, uh, who sort of over the last few years have sort of fallen by the wayside, um I think they maybe just couldn't really keep up with the uh, the higher level of uh, of competition anymore. Yeah, because you you know Will was even talking about when does he think about retiring, mm. and it's kind of like well the the younger generation that's um, come into IndyCar, the level of talent that they are bringing, he said is is for for him he's really having to like go to another level uh, with his driving just so he can sort of stay ahead mm. and when you hear a driver like will power say something like that then you know the level of competition that's going on in indycar at the moment is absolutely off the charts um interesting uh, off-track stuff with indycar because you know the the the, the crowd the attendance uh, i think i believed i read it was getting close to about 250 thousand fans coming to the track for the weekend which would be a record for this race but over the past few seasons we've seen indycar start to really um go up in terms of uh audience attendance and then also viewership as as well um that, you know, Jeroen, this has to do, I think, a lot with, you know, the, the drive to survive effect. And then also you add on top of that, you know, more people watching F1 and drive to survive. They're then starting to look for other forms of motor racing, which is also taking them um, to IndyCar. And then also it helps if, you know, you have a driver like Roman Grosjean, who has such a big following, you know, also going over. And then same uh, goes with qu- quite a few of the other drivers that are from Europe. Uh, coming over and, and racing an IndyCar as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think also uh, an additional um, factor is the younger, the younger audiences, the mm. younger generations who are, um, you know, let's call them the TikTok generation, who sort of are also uh, realizing that sort of there is something out there in America that is actually quite good. Yeah, it's not F1, but it looks a lot like F1. Actually, it's a lot more competitive. It's often a lot more spectacular. Um, and it, it's becoming almost a little bit like this, you know, this hidden secret sort of like, you know, if you know, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think especially with uh, the aforementioned uh, jump of a few uh, European drivers, uh, a, a more and uh, growing uh, international contingent of drivers, I think that broadens the audience as well. Um, so, I mean, there are so, there are some uh, so, some good signals there, I think. Uh, and now I just hope sort of that IndyCar can, can pound and sort of benefit from that and... Um, uh, you know, built on that momentum that is definitely there. I think the uh, the viewership was also uh, pretty good for the race. Um, I think it was around one point two million viewers, which is which is really good. It's down one point four million um, from the previous year. 
but that being said, that's a that's a good number for North America. What it did in Canada, I'm that's uncertain at this moment. Um, what was it like for uh, for yourself? I mean, from from a Dutch perspective, like what 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 kind, I guess what level of appetite does IndyCar have with people over and over no, in Europe? I mean. You know, it's still, um, of course, in Holland, first there is F1 and Max Verstappen. And then yeah. there's a long time, there's nothing. And then the rest comes, sort of. So, I mean, you know, IndyCar, of course, is still, in a way, a sort of a niche interest. But, of course, in recent years, it has grown a lot um, with the arrival of Rina Svike, with uh, Rina Svike also, you know, getting some success, winning a race, uh, getting pole positions and so on, doing well at Indy. Um, and I know actually that last uh, Sunday, um, uh, I mean, we're a football mad country. I think you called it soccer over there. Yep. Um, and there was a Spanish football match on. Um, and actually that drew less viewers than the uh, Grand Prix of St. Petersburg, which to cool. me, uh, that's quite, uh, quite something. So, um, and those, all those people who tuned in, they actually saw a good race. So hopefully they'll tune in again for the next one. And that's why, again, you're, you're slowly but surely building that momentum. Um, so, like I say, I mean, there's definitely uh, sprouts of green. Which uh, I'm hoping the the 100 Days to Indy, which is IndyCar's docu-series that they're working on at the moment, will air on uh, CW and also Vice uh, in in other parts of the world, still unsure as to where everything will be airing in total with this, with this docu series. It's supposed to be similar to a uh, Formula One Drive to Survive type type deal. My thing is with this is that if it gets done properly and it doesn't, um, it 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 doesn't get too uh, censored or edited down. Uh, they could have a really good product on their hands because there's a lot of characters in this uh, series, Jeroen. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think especially Connor Daly has been pretty outspoken about that yeah. uh, on his own <laughs> podcast. Like, you know, it's okay if, you know, there is some conflict. Show the conflict because, to be honest, I mean, that's, of course, what Drive to Survive does as well. And to be fair, I mean, if you're a proper F1 fan and you really follow it closely, you know that some of the storylines in Drive to Survive have been, well, edited a little bit for entertainment value. Um, but, you know, you could do that here as well. And like you mm-hmm. say, I mean, um, I, I think sort of it would be great if, if, if maybe somebody at NBC could sort of, uh, if we have an intro of an IndyCar race, rather than showing cars, show me the personalities, show mm-hmm. me the drivers, like F1 does sort of in their in, in their new intro sequence, right? You you get familiar with the drivers, you get familiar with the names, you get familiar with the faces. Uh, and then indeed sort of, um, I mean, we just talked about Canapino. I mean, there's other uh, guys, Stingray Rob, I mean, during media days, I mean, we had a great conversation with Stingray Rob. That kid has a great story. <laughs> yeah, he does. Um, <laughs> So I mean, and there's so many, so many more of them, sort of that that they're just great personalities, and I think sort of that's really something uh, that the sport could leverage much more uh, than they do at the moment. And you can see even in their TV interviews following either qualifying or the or the race itself. Like I remember, I think it was uh, it was Renus after after qualifying. You know, he was almost going to swear his wear his head off on live television. He kind of had to like pull back a bit. Yeah. Um, he was not happy with Alex Pillow. <laughs> no. But that's okay. I mean, show that. And that's 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 really, really good. Um, and, and sort of, you know, not everything has to be negative energy, right? Yeah. Not everything has to be conflict. I mean, yeah. uh, well, David Malukas, another great example. Yeah. David is a great guy. Yeah. Really a great guy. Uh, super funny. Super uh, engaging. I mean, you know use that mm-hmm. uh, i mean i i can i can uh, willpower another it's a great willpower is a great guy scott mclaughlin is a great guy 
and, and so on, and so on, and so on. I mean, there's there's a lot more there, sort of to be to be like I say to be leveraged and and to be mined. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, like I say, I, I'm not sure if we're here in Europe if we're going to get the uh, the 100 Days to Indie documentary at all. Um, but um, I hope that the makers uh, realize what potential gold they have in their hands. Yeah, because you know, right now IndyCar obviously is focused so much on North America, and it was brought up to other drivers as well. Um, seeing as how you know, it's the the series itself is starting to be on the rise again in North America and in Canada. Um, they were asked about where would you want to go uh, race, and you know, some of them said Mexico, some of them said you know Sweden, some of them said you know Holland, some of them said over in Europe somewhere. So it's it's. Um, you can see that there is an appetite. There's like certain pockets. I mean, Marcus Erickson had. Uh, did you see those guys following Marcus Erickson around? <laughs> I did. Yes. <laughs> it's his own like fan group. I believe. I believe everyone comes from Sweden, and then they follow him around to certain races, and then they kind of go home, and then they come back. But these guys were all over TV. They're all over all over Marcus, and I, I guess he. I mean- and this is the thing, right? I mean, there, of course, there's always sort of like um, economic and financial realities, right? Yeah, I mean, for we sure. know that IndyCar is not the richest racing series on the planet. We know that the the number of you know the numbers that sort of go around in terms of revenue are not nearly as same the same as Formula One. Um, but I mean, a race in Mexico doesn't seem completely uh, undoable to me. I mm-hmm. mean, uh, Pato has a great um, um, has a great fan base. Um, and then, I mean, if at some point, maybe in a few years from now, a, a little European tour could be doable. Yeah. Um, I know that sort of, I mean, you know, the, the Swedes, they have Rosenquist and Ericsson. Uh, in Holland, I mean, you know, um, if if you organize a race there, I mean, people will come. Oh, for sure. If you, if you, if you, you know, and market it and, and promote it right. Um, I mean, maybe you do a race in France sort of uh, for, the, for the Grosjean fan base and the Paginot fan base. Because, I mean, we have all these nationalities, so why not, why not sort of use that? And then sort of if you all do it sort of in one tour, so you only have to travel once, right? So you just sort of make it like, I don't know, three weeks, three races, something like that. Um, I think it's worth exploring. And again, I realize sort of that also, you know, the partners and the sponsors, most of them are North American. Uh, I understand all that. Um, but there is a, a potential growth market outside of the U.S. as well for for this product because that's in the end what it is. It's a great entertainment product. Yeah, I remember uh, dating myself here, but going back to the the split that ended up being IRL and in Champ Car, which was formerly known as IndyCar, and then trying to just as a junior driver like myself trying to navigate your way uh, through that was so difficult because they're the the series was both series just on their knees like it had gutted the fan base there was nothing really left to leverage from the series at all and they were doing everything they could just to hang on and then once everything kind of came full circle again and regrouped and rebranded as IndyCar again and we've been over the years having this slow it's been a very long time but it's been a slow progression to try and get back to where it where it was some folks feel that they may never get back to those golden days but i i don't know i mean like at at the toronto indie last year like that's the busiest i have seen that race and i've raced in it like a long time and for many years i've never seen it i hadn't seen it that busy since the 90s like it was rammed and then that leads me to believe that if you're going outside of the United States, you're coming to Canada, 
and you're getting success there. And, you know, I remember going to Mexico when Champ Car raced there. And I believe, I'm trying to remember, we had Michelle Jordan Jr. And I think Mario Dominguez was there as well. Um, and we were racing on the same track as F1 races at for, for that Champ Car event. And it was, this is, I'm going back, I think like 2005, maybe 2004. It was rammed. Man, it mm. was it was packed like that stadium, all along that front straightaway that leads you down to turn one. It was filled. There had to have been at least two hundred thousand fans there for that, and that was at a time when, you know, Champ Car was like really struggling, like mm. the series itself. So it just I think it just yeah. shows like you you could go to these other 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 venues. You could go to these other countries. No, and that's and that's the thing. And I mean, you know, I. I I'm I'm not sure how it would be in Sweden, but I know the Dutch sort of. I mean, they're absolutely uh, sports crazy. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've been to the the, the first Dutch Grand Prix, uh, which was last year. Oh yeah, um, you were at that, right? The, the, in 21, actually, um, which was sort of the first time since the mid 80s, and the place was absolutely packed. And mind you, we were still in the middle of a pandemic, uh, so we had all sorts of like you know checkups and what have you. Um, but the place was packed. The place was sold out. Uh, last year it was even it was even even bigger because we were full, uh, back to full capacity. Um, and again, I mean, if you brand it properly, if you promote it properly, if you have a good sort of a, a few support races around it, I mean, it's it's going to see IndyCar at Zandvoort. I mean, I think that would be that would be cool, spectacular. Yeah, yeah, that would be cool. I really um, think so. Mark Miles gave a uh, gave a, a State of the Union sort of speech on Saturday afternoon. It was it was pretty interesting to hear from him and to hear some of their ideas, and it was pretty transparent, which is actually was really nice. Um, to hear from one of the faces of uh, IndyCar, the IndyCar property and the IndyCar brand. Uh, he made mention of something that I found quite interesting. You may have a little more insight into it than I do, but uh, the, 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 the winner's circle um, payout, which is given to teams at the end of the season, and they basically, Mark had to and I'm summarizing all this very quickly, Mark had to go around to the teams and and convince them to give up some of the winners' um, circle prize money so they could then take that and invest it back into marketing for the series, which I think is a good idea. It's interesting to see that all the teams play ball with that. It was about 150000 and it was about over $3 million, I think, for money that they were going to be able to invest in marketing for the series, which is something they actually have never really done. And this is something we always talk about is how are they branding the series and then how are they marketing it and then how are they uh, executing on that? So far, things seem pretty positive on that front. Well, at least there's there's an ambition to to do something. Um, I think we, by the way, we need to give a hat tip to Racer.com and Marshall Pruger, who I think first reported that story about the uh, leader circle reduction a few weeks ago. Um, but yeah, I mean, in in a way, sort of. I mean, I can understand if you're a team, sort of, and and it's a request that came pretty late, sort of, in pre, in preseason, right? So uh, all of a sudden, if you're Andretti, you have to you have four cars, so you suddenly need to fight uh, six hundred thousand dollars somewhere else uh, f- uh, to to run your cars. Um, but still, I mean, if it's then being used to put sort of uh, a better marketing plan uh, in place, um, then, you know, maybe it could actually pay off. Um, I think they just launched a new marketing campaign called Zero. Um, and around St. Pete, they focused on the, uh, you know, you can make zero mistakes around there uh, if you want to uh, win. Uh, the, the irony, of course, was that they used Scott McLaughlin in there, who ended up <laughs> in a, uh, uh, who ended up in the tire barriers. Um, but... 
at least sort of um it, it's it's a campaign and a, and a concept that makes sense to me. Um, it focuses again. It focuses on the driver. It focuses on the personality because each the, the ideas. I think that at each uh, race where they're going to use this, they're going to have a driver sort of with a link to that mm-hmm. particular event tell the story. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, it makes miles more sense than defy everything because I think we talked about that yeah. earlier on on podcasts. I never understood what defy everything was supposed to tell me. What who it was supposed to appeal to. I never understood it, and I think a lot of people didn't. Um, so they canned that. They got a new concept, which I thought looked pretty good. I'm, I'm, I'm very curious to see sort of how the future installments will be um, and what else they will come up with. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the 100 Days to India is not a good example. I mean, yes. I mean, we've been talking about that for years um, following uh, the success of Drive to Survive. Mm-hmm. Shoot, IndyCar do something similar. Mm-hmm. Okay, now we're doing that. Okay, so what's next? What else are we going to do on social presence uh, and so on and so on? Um, so, of course, you know, these things take time. Um I think they've been, uh, they're, they're at least recruiting or at least have been recruiting a new head of marketing as well. Um, so there's a change atop the organization as well. So, I mean, yeah, things are changing, things are moving. Um, and I think that is, um, um, that's that's a good sign. Uh, and, and like I say, I'm curious to see sort of what's next. I'm just going to turn on the light, by the way, because the evening is falling here in Europe. <laughs> Uh, we'll talk about the junior series. I didn't get to watch uh, any of it, but I know obviously you cover it as well with uh, Feeder Series America on Twitter. Um, Indie Next, uh, it was was pretty wild. I mean, obviously Andretti Autosport had a rough uh, rough Sunday in IndyCar. <laughs> I heard that. I heard that I, things didn't go very well in Indy Next. I, th- I think Andretti just had a rough Sunday. Period. Yeah. Uh, oh um, God. Uh, yeah. No. Um, I mean, they had eight cars in Saint Petersburg, um, and I think in the end there was one that sort of made made it to the end wow. uh, in a decent way. Um, no, I mean it, it was it was rough. I mean uh, Louis Foster was very good, uh, the British driver, sort of the uh, who won the USF Pro 2000 Championship last year. Um, you know, got the scholarship, moved up, uh, signed with Andretti. Um, had the pole position, but you know, got caught up in one of the many incidents because, as with the IndyCar race, uh, the Indy Next race was a bit of a precursor. Uh, it was equally chaotic, a lot of incidents, a lot of yellows. Um, so Louis Foster dropped out. Uh, you had James Rowe, who had a technical issue. Um, Jamie Chadwick, uh, the, the three-time W Series champ. Um, we know she's on the steep learning curve. She knows she's on the steep learning curve. Um, I think she went through three uh, front wings uh, during the race. Um, did did make it to the end, finished. But, you know, still uh, has, has a lot to learn, clearly. Um, and then uh, the only one, actually, uh, Hunter McElroy, who is sort of th- their championship contender. But he began the weekend very badly because on Friday in first practice, he, on, on one of these new bumps on the repave, oh, yeah. he sort of lost the car, crashed yeah. into the wall. Um, so, yeah, as a result of that, also had a, didn't have a great qualifying, but then during the race really fought himself uh, back to P5, uh, so limited the damage a bit there. Um, so who really had a good weekend in, retur- uh, 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 in the opposite is, is HMD Motorsports. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, they do sort of, they provide all, uh, approximately half the field um, because they have a total of nine cars. Yes, nine. Um, and I think seven of those finished in the top 10, uh, including Daniel Frost, who won the race. Um, so HMD had a good day, uh, and another one I think who, sh- who, sh- who we should mention is uh, uh, Abel Motorsports. Mm. Um, Jacob Abel had a uh, great weekend. Um, just missed out on pole, just missed out on the win, but in the end got a podium finish. Uh, really mixed it up with the Andrettis with the HMD cars um, as one of the smaller teams. Um, so very impressive uh, showing by uh, by Abel. And I'll jump over to USF Pro uh, because Miles Rowe had a phenomenal 
weekend um winning on sunday and then was it fourth on uh, saturday third mm-hmm. third third yeah wow yeah he what got two weekend. podiums now, i mean this is the thing i mean last year he was in usf 2000 mm-hmm. with pabst racing um you know pabst racing a maker of champions in the lower series for many years um and and he just missed out on the championship last year um but still pro, uh, gonna graduate to usf pro this year um and uh, yeah, especially on Sunday, I mean, he started fifth um, and basically worked his way up to the front uh, and never looked back and won the race in uh, an imperious way. And it's it's quite, I mean, he's a rookie in USF Pro 2000, but I mean, he has ad- adapted to that car without any issues, clearly. Uh, leads the championship now, uh, heading into the next round in Sebring. Um, yeah, very, very impressive um, uh, uh, performance by Miles Rowe. Because there's a ton of talent in that uh, US USF Pro Series, isn't yes. there? Like a lot from Europe as well. Like there's yeah, definitely. It's pretty uh, they stacked got 20, field. They got twenty cars on the on the grid, uh, which is the biggest grid they've had in many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, there as well, just like an Indy Next. Indy Next had nineteen cars. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, we haven't seen that in years. Um, we all remember the single digits uh, years of only a few years ago. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so. And, use, and now all the Lefita series, all of them have around 20 cars on the grid, uh, and USF Pro especially. Um, I think there's a bit of a Louis Foster effect. I think a lot of drivers in Europe saw Louis Foster win the championship in mm. his, at his first attempt there last year. And we're like, huh, this might be uh, interesting, especially if your budget is a bit smaller. Yeah. Because if you want to go to F3 or F2, we're talking millions. Uh, USF Pro, you know, then we're talking maybe six fifty, seven hundred thousand dollars. That's slightly more doable if you have a smaller budget. Uh, a good example is Reese Ushijima, uh, the Japanese American driver who drove an F3, um, didn't have a budget to return to F3. Instead, took the budget that he had and went to USF Pro and joined uh, Jay Howard. Um, so, I mean, I, there's a lot of guys who used to be in F3, uh, a few even used to be in F2, um, and, and uh, in G, from GB3, the, the, the British uh, Formula Regional Championship. So, I mean, there's a lot of talent there. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, some uh, guys who, who came over, uh, up from the USF 2000, like so uh, homegrown talent, uh, and that all combines to make a very, very strong field. Um, so, yeah, all that actually makes Miles Rowe's uh, performance even uh, more impressive. And for those of you listening, if you want uh, to find out more about a lot of the junior category that Jeroen is speaking of, you can uh, find out more on Feeder Series America on Twitter. Uh, Jeroen, let everybody know what you got going on and where they can find you on social media. Well, yeah, Feed the Series Americas, I think, is the most relevant for uh, for most people. And then I got my personal handle also uh, at Mr. Demondal. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, what I'll be doing, I'll just be keep on following F1, F2, F3, IndyCar, Road to Indy, uh, all of that. Uh, just, you know, watching a lot of motor racing. Uh, Jeroen, thanks very much for your time, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me.